Hi, I'm Dr. Dave, he, him. Hi, I'm Dr. Tom, GP extraordinaire, he, they, she. Hey, I'm Dr. Jamie, she, her. And welcome to episode three, season three of the Meet Q podcast. Today, we're going to meet a Q who's struggling with rejection sensitivity. We're going to play a little game called, did I say that during therapy or did I say that during sex? And no doubt we're going to have a chat about all the times we've been rejected in our lives. Sounds good. All right, let's get to it. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Meet Q podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their enduring connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hi gang. Hello. How are we? Are we enjoying our new digs? We're across the river. <laughs> we are across the river. <laughs> I have some feelings. <laughs> it was a nightmare. Yeah. Finally feeling very professional. You know, yeah. yeah. For those uh, listening and not watching on our YouTube channel, we are in an official podcast recording studio right now. It's very warm in here, though. It is. Yeah. So cold. I feel very Carrie Bradshaw. Like, we need to be very, like, kind of politically correct and, like, kind of, you know, do all of our kind of tokenistic little moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a it, lot. It was a lot. Like, I really liked... What's Sex it called? And, Sex and the City. No, Sex and City I love, but what's the remake again? Sorry. And Just Like That. And Just Like That, yeah. But it was incredibly progressive to the point of almost feeling a bit disingenuous. Yeah. Did you watch it? No. Did you watch Sex and the City? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think I watched, I might have watched like one episode and then, I don't know, people just didn't sell me on it. I was like, nah, I'd tell you what I did watch, the L Word remake. That uh, was pretty good. Have you? No, no, I've never seen it. Never. Shame. Shame. Watch the new Queer as Folk yep. remake as well. That was really good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In like um, New Orleans, I think it was, wasn't it? Mm. Maybe we need to start a new podcast, which is just uh, like TV and movie recommendations. Yeah, for sure. We'll do <laughs> I am creating a book list yeah. as we speak. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. A book list? Yeah. I thought we were going TV and movie. <laughs> I can sign up for no fucking book list. <laughs> All right, let's not keep Q waiting. Let's get into it. Hi, I'm Q. I'm a 35-year-old gay guy. I've been single for about five years. For as long as I can remember, I've struggled with feelings of rejection. This is especially true for times when I don't get an explanation as to why I'm being rejected. How can I get past this? I really want to be in a relationship, but these worries about rejection hold me back. I don't know about you guys. I had to do a lot of prep for this episode. <laughs> it was yeah. not a cross rejection sense. Dave, we know that you're engaged. Like we mentioned that last time. I'm not saying I've never been rejected. I'm just saying I didn't understand it as a clinical concept. Yeah. Um, okay. Jamie, what's your understanding? Yes, yeah, so my understanding is that some people, you know, you know, I like a spectrum. I'm just big on all spectrums. So some people just sit higher on this attention towards feelings of rejection. Mm-hmm. So a higher sensitivity towards it. And then some people feel lower on it, that they feel like, nah, they're probably not rejecting me. They've just slept in. So people are a lot easier to make sense of potential rejections. So some of us are kind of primed to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's exactly the word mm. I'd use. Are you all primed to it? Yes. I think I, I am. am really highly primed to it. Would be, uh, me too. <laughs> would be a, it would be a guess. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably one of the downsides of like, you know, we talk about all the good things about being empathic, mm. but one of kind of the negatives is that you're pretty attuned to a lot of people mm. and therefore you're attuned to if someone zones out and starts thinking about dinner, then you're watching their face like change and drift off and you're like, 
oh, God, it's me. Mm. Like, you know, so that level of attunement can actually Probably when you have the training around it, like we all do as well. Yeah, it doesn't help. No, exactly. (laughs) And I think sometimes that attunement equally, I'm always surprised that, like, apparently I have a face that, like, people can read Mm. because it's that sense of, like, I might be drifting off as well. And I suppose this is where kind of this, we're probably going to go with Q. But, like, when I drift off, it's usually just because I'm thinking of something or I've gotten distracted and it's not the person themselves. Ah, I'm so, okay. Mm -hmm. Segue. Do you have like a neutral clinical face? Are you like quite expressive clinically? I'm incredibly expressive. Yeah. Right. I, I, as a human being and as a psychologist, yeah. I wear my emotions. People know mm. how I'm feeling. You know how I'm wow. feeling, Jack. Yeah. No, so I was, I was thinking I, was, I kind of went a bit more egocentric in that moment. I've, I've been told when I'm showing empathy, that's highly expressive. Someone said I once had a, a Pixar face, like with the eyes, like big mm. eyes. So I was like, okay, I think that's a compliment. But when I'm feeling like negative emotions, apparently I'm just neutral. So if I'm feeling angry on behalf of someone, I I have to say to them, I'm feeling really angry for you because they're like, you just look neutral. Right. Okay. (laughs) So there are some emotions that you're expressing and some you aren't. Maybe. Okay. Bring it back to Q. Tom, why might we develop rejection sensitivity? What are the factors? Like one of the things is that when we're adults, we have this like kind of lovely little ability to feel like we can kind of judge our childhood and adolescence through adult lenses. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that like kind of what our brain is doing in those early years is kind of associating things. Mm-hmm. And so like if we as a child kind of like have this really exciting rock that we found in the kind of playground and then we go and share it with like a loved one and they're like, oh, that's really dirty. That's gross. Put it down. Mm-hmm. That little kid is getting that, like, I'm really excited about this fun-looking rock. And then the kind of caregiver or the friend um, is like, that's not right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's this kind of, and that child will then view that as rejection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's the emotional association of, like, I want to share something that I'm excited about. And then someone saying that's not valid. And so, like, if we get those, like, kind of experiences during life, but they happen more frequently... Well, they happen really around those moments of like authentic expression of like kind of excitement, sharing, being out like kind of to play full selves as children and adolescents. Then we start to like learn and those associations of the emotions that go with them. Mm, it's kind of like unconditional positive regard that we would hope that most parents and caregivers give to their young children. Mm. Because there's a real sense of like the development of acceptance and the development of kind of I'm valid in, oh, that's a really lovely rock. That's a great rock. Oh, that's so exciting. (laughs) That emotional attunement, hey? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a really interesting study that looks at the neurobiological links to how people perceive different faces. And they show that people higher in rejection sensitivity as a construct respond more to faces of disapproval, have higher levels of activation to faces with disapproval. Like negative activation? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not negative activation, but it's a part of a brain associated with kind of a threat response. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I should say unpleasant emotion. Yeah, absolutely, kind of like arousal towards it. But it's not in response to angry faces, no difference in response to angry faces or disgust. So it actually seems to be particularly around that socially motivated disapproval, Mm -hmm. which I think fits the rock example so well. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. why do you like that? Like this kind of like, that's a bit weird. Yeah. There's almost elements of like attachment here too, like a disorganised attachment. So disorganised attachment comes about for a young person when their parent is kind of inconsistently present and inconsistently there. And so people become more hypervigilant and unsure of, is this an instance where somebody 
I love is going to be present or is this an instant mm. where they're going to be absent? Mm. And I wonder what the connection with rejection sensitivity is and attachment style. Well, I guess like it's like, what Q is talking about here as well is on that note because like they might have that kind of hyper awareness of their rejection mm. um, because they've had a few rejecting experiences in that romantic space where they've kind of become their authentic kind of queer self or gay, I think identify as gay male self, and then they've kind of had some negative kind of dating experiences. And so then that, that kind of primes them if they've, especially if they've had those early childhood and adolescent experiences to where they've just been rejected, maybe because they were that kind of more kind of sensitive, mm. those traits that kind of are empathetic. And so they're picking up on those cues when they've experienced that rejection or they've had really negative experiences after they've started to come to terms with their sexuality and adolescence. Yeah. And that kind of then carries into kind of adulthood. Mm-hmm. And then like kind of it's the confirmatory, I suppose, bias yeah. in the way when like they start to experience that in like kind of dating life that then means that they then look out for it as well as kind of expect it and so then kind of withdraw from it, which only kind of confirms that anxiety because we're avoiding what we're actually kind of wanting to engage with. Well, even before we have words to describe our queerness, it's not uncommon that young people have that sense that there might be something different Mm, about mm. them, right? So they, they might already be on the lookout for that kind of social inclusion, social exclusion factors. So I'm actually doing some really interesting research at the moment around schemas and um, gender diversity and sexual diversity. So as we're growing up, if we're particularly attuned that there's something on the outside, if there's something different, then we might be constantly looking for that. And as a result, we also might be trying to just fit in that kind of approval-seeking piece as well, like not ruffle any feathers. And therefore, when we see a sign, because remember, you could be thinking about dinner, but I see that as you switching off from me. Mm, because you're really boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know. Yeah, like, but like that's the perception. Absolutely. Mm. And again, in, in this, I think that's such a beautiful example because in this very moment, I did not take that as a sign of rejection. I, mm. I want to really assure you of that. But I hope that our listeners, and I hope that Dave's okay with saying um, he put on something really nice before and I made a joke and Dave was like, oh, I feel a bit shamed. And there was a genuine moment mm. of that that I was like, oh, I think There's that my rejection sensitivity we had a bit of rege- And I was just like, oh, that was just a misplaced joke. Mm, yeah. And I just ended up hurting someone without meaning to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, Dave. <laughs> You're forgiven, Jamie. Thank you. How do you think rejection sensitivity plays out, I guess, in modern times? Do you think we actually have more opportunities to be rejected? these days, particularly when I think about like the common ways of dating at the moment, swipe left, swipe right. I wonder how this has maybe increased rejection sensitivity. I've got a thought around having done some work with adolescents and I noticed this pattern that, and this isn't something I've researched into, but this is a clinical pattern that I picked up, that kids that were highly anxious during school had this tendency to become quite depressed during school holidays. Mm. And I thought, what could be going on here? And one thing that the young people and I spoke about was this idea that they didn't get immediate feedback from their friends. Mm -hmm. So for example, Mm -hmm. if I went home and I didn't get to see Dave or record this podcast and I thought, oh no, I've hurt his feelings. I wouldn't get the chance to see you tomorrow at school to check back in with you and to make sure that I haven't hurt our relationship Mm -hmm. saying a hurtful thing, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm on school holidays, I'm not getting that immediate feedback. So I just have to live with, maybe I've ruined this relationship, right? So it's living with that uncertainty, Mm -hmm. that potential rejection. So in this swipe culture of dating today, I don't know why someone's not 
swiping right, mm. ticking yes or whatever it is, right? I don't know. I don't think it's an actual tick, is it? No? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, but, you know, that no one's swiping right. That I'm not getting feedback of like, oh, I didn't like the suburb she lived in. Right. <laughs> you know? Or we're not a match on, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like child, you know, child, you know uh, children my, or sure. my exes kind of like come back into the picture. and like Yeah, I know I'm not that. getting a narrative description of my reason for rejection or acceptance. And this is what I mean. I guess if we are primed to rejection sensitivity, then that stuff is just going to be filtered straight through that lens. 100%. Yeah, go yeah. through to the cape. And then equally, like, kind of, if you think about how online we are these days and, like, you don't get that, like, um, the immediacy of the um, feedback, but equally there's just that increased likelihood of misinterpretation. Mm. Sure. Because you're not able to visualise someone. There's no, like, kind of immediate, like, kind of um, yeah. context switch when we see someone's yeah. face change. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so we can't adjust in the moment. Yeah. Instead, we're relying on, like, everyone having the same interpretation of what we're writing. Yeah. Plus also, like, I mean, I don't know whether you guys have been overseas, right? And if you're on, like, a tour in your 20s or something, there might be, like, two or three potential people on a group of, I don't know how many, like on a tour group. I just remember these tours when I was in my 20s, right? And there might be like two people that you're like, your potentials, right? Whereas like on like a dating app or something, there are hundreds, if not thousands. So you might as well reject more people. So maybe we're primed to reject more as well. well. And like in, especially in this um, kind of queer community, like all the gay male community, there's often that association with like, I need to be perfect. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's that contrast of like, I don't want to be rejected. And so we kind of don't engage. But then when we yeah. do engage, it needs to be perfect for us to kind of actually settle in deep. Yeah. And so that kind of FOMO or the kind of keep yeah. scrolling yeah. mentality yeah. kind of works to kind of only further the rejection kind of underlying as well. Well, there's like research on giving people options of a Mars bar and a Snickers. They make a decision faster and they're more satisfied mm-hmm. with their mm-hmm. decision when they have to choose one. Mm-hmm. Give them a Snickers, a Mars bar, a Cherry Ripe, a Twix, a, a you know, a Cadbury flake bar and the you just more, eat them all well, yeah. <laughs> the more options that you have the harder it is to make the decision and the less satisfied you are with oh, your decision yeah. we've all scrolled netflix yeah <laughs> and that's the irony all i do is, is watch ships creek and gath and kim <laughs> <laughs> most people think that they want more options that's yeah. the thing exactly. so people yeah. say yeah i want mm. more options but then when we have them there is that lack of satisfaction that's very mass it is very mass <laughs> Oh, like it. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's play. Did I say that during therapy or did I say that during sex? Game on. Mm. Just as a caveat and disclaimer, we are not having sex with any other client patients. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're up, Dave. Mm, that's hard. Our <laughs> uh, uh, props for acting skills. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We haven't only have a couple of moments left. How do you want to finish? Sorry, Tom's out of the firing line. Mm-hmm. You're not special. <laughs> <laughs> Straight from the Dr. Tom Dixon Ouch. playbook. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Should we talk about bringing your parents into a session? <laughs> <laughs> I've got some strategies I think could really help you. <laughs> Same time next week. <laughs> now it's really normal to feel a lot of grief after today. 
<laughs> what do you think you'll take away from this session? <laughs> <laughs> Something I need to eat. See, Dr. Dixon. <laughs> Uh, you'll get an invoice in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> and how does that feel, you know, deep inside yourself? <laughs> yeah, I just uh, looked at the clock and we're going to need to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I've got any more. Jeez, I hope my mum doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so coming back to Q, 35-year-old gay male struggling with rejection sensitivity. Tom, what are your thoughts on how we might support Q? When we're talking about how rejection occurs, it's really one of those things that we've got to change that lens that we're looking through life through. And I kind of think about rejection because I love an alliteration through the four R's mm-hmm. of rejection. And essentially those are, we want to recognize that A, we're starting to feel that sense of rejection. Mm-hmm. And then like kind of during that recognition, we need to like take stock of, okay, how badly is this going on? Am I at like the, oh my God, I'm in fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. I, this like rejection is actually going to, I'm about to like kind of either get angry or cry or like just completely shut down. Mm-hmm. And I need to actually remove myself from the situation. Mm. So kind of responding to that recognition, mm-hmm. and which is our second R. And like in our response, we need to then act accordingly. So if we're in that red zone of like, I'm like emotionally kind of at crisis point, we remove ourselves from the kind of stimuli. Mm-hmm. If we're in the orange zone where we like, okay, maybe I can bring myself back down, but kind of maintain this contact with this person, we might want to change the topic mm-hmm. of conversation or just say, oh, we're going to just talk about something else for mm-hmm. a moment. Mm-hmm. Just like kind of signpost that moment. Or if we're in the green zone, like we kind of can then carry on. Because like the reflection post, which is our third R, is kind of thinking about then, okay, well, what actually happened in that interaction? Taking the emotions out of it, like in terms of our response in the emotions, mm. what was the other person I was talking to or the rejection stimulus? What actually like kind of point by point happened? Not kind of what we think they meant by it. Mm. Like we don't kind of read into what the meanings were, mm. but we kind of say this person said this mm. or I saw their face. Like fact checking. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I yeah. saw their face kind of look the other way mm. or like they turned their nose up at me, but mm. there was a random on the street. Because like, and then we need to reframe it by giving different explanations other than rejection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because just like me looking off into the void Mm. um, was me thinking about dinner and not Mm. me rejecting Jamie, Mm. we need to provide those kind of options for the person that we've kind of implied that their thoughts were that they don't like us. Mm. There's a really great CBT strategy. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but the idea of like coming up with at least three options Mm. for the one thing that's happened, something really, really awful, something really, really positive and something that's just great in the middle. It's kind of what you're talking about there with the reframing. Yeah. Mm. I usually say pick between three to five and they can be anything. Yeah. But the idea is that you give yourself that realisation, okay, there's lots of different options here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like immediately responding by thinking it's rejection. Yeah. But actually it could have been one of these other things happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we either kind of go and ask the person if we want to, or we at least know that next time we might not expect rejection as much mm. because we've given our brain other options to consolidate that event about. Yeah. And if I can add something on top of that, another little suggestion is the reason we get stuck on the really difficult ones is because emotion draws us in. So mm. if this is the option that gives me the most anxiety or produces the most fear in me, that's where I'm naturally going to be drawn to. So if I can recognize that I'm drawn to this, not because it's more true, 
But yep. because it's creating more emotion in me and, and as a being, I am drawn to that, that yep. can help us kind of stay abreast of all of the Literally options. Literally writing down the consequence of the negative event occurring, like someone's mm. going to laugh in my face when I ask them out, you know, that might be like a 1% chance mm. of happening, mm-hmm. but it would feel like a 100% in terms of my personal negative consequences. Exactly. exactly. And that's why we get stuck on it is yeah. because we get stuck on the ones that cause the intense emotion. Yeah, yeah. for sure, mm. for sure. Yeah, I think one of the things that I would look at for treatment for Q is around, is it worth it? You know, that it's never going to be 100% guaranteed. There is a really high chance of rejection when we're out there dating people, right? Mm. And even when you're in a relationship, there's a really high chance of rejection. It's actually just part of connecting with people. So I, I guess my question to Q is, well, why would you do it? What are the reasons that you want to be in a relationship? Let's look mm-hmm. at the other side. So as much as that temptation right now is to be avoiding, that's okay, but what's the cost? What are you missing out on? Mm. So just helping them kind of with that decisional balance of going, what do I want to pick here? And if you pick to say, do you know what, I just don't want to date right now, that's all right. And I'd really encourage their agency over this choice. Mm. But if they're saying, no, I actually really want to be connected with someone, and you go, Okay, so sitting with this uncertainty around these really low consequences, that's going to be part of it and that's okay. So not kind of being caught off guard when it occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making the decision about if I don't want to be in a relationship right now, am I making that from a place of fear or am I making mm-hmm. that from a place of what's right for me from a values perspective mm-hmm. right sure. now at this point in my life? Yeah, I think it's something that I, like I'm a single Pringle and it's very much like I had a friend once say to me, like kind of the narratives of like the heteronormative majority mm. are ones that like we as queer people have instantly been excluded from. Yeah. But rather than it being a negative thing, it's actually quite a liberating thing because we get to kind of decide our own narratives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so those expectations that kind of so often come with like a certain age or a certain kind of place in our lives where we should be, like the word should comes into it yeah. and we're doing it because of that expectation rather than kind of actually, oh, no, I really want that companionship, mm-hmm. like those differing kind of potentially um, what's important to us at the time, mm-hmm. that can kind of decide whether we should be um, following in going into that dating space and kind of making decisions where we can write our own narratives is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. If we look at it too from that kind of like a schema therapy lens and we look at kind of the little us, the little child mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. did experience rejection once upon a time that's led adult us to be really primed to rejection. I always really love the idea of like leaning in to that little child and, and taking responsibility to start looking after that little part of us, that mm-hmm. really vulnerable part of us who did really experience that rejection. So, you know, quite often maybe when we feel rejected, our response to that might be outward. It might be, I'm going to block anyone else from coming in because if no one else comes in, then I can't be rejected. So I call that kind of the loosening of the rope. Yeah. Or we might pull the rope even tighter if I'm feeling rejected or if I'm worrying about rejection, then I'm trying to pull that person in to make sure that I'm not rejected and abandoned. But it's a really kind of outward and outwardly focused approach. Mm. I like the idea of why don't we turn around because there's like, if it's happening to me, little Davos is sitting just behind me and he's the one going, I'm really scared of being rejected right now. I'm really scared this person's not going to like me or going to abandon me. And rather than trying to deal with that through looking out to the world, 
I have an opportunity to turn around to him, pick him up and go, hey, mate, I'm right here. Mm. I'm never going to reject you. I'm always going to be mm. here for you. Mm. So that's kind of that inner child work, like what schema therapy mm. would, would encourage us to do, mm. to look at turning around and really connecting with mm. and healing that core vulnerability and pain of where this really came from once upon a time. Because it didn't come from old mate on the app you know, not mm-hmm. responding to a message. It didn't come mm-hmm. from, you know, two dates in with, you know, whoever it is who didn't call me back. It comes from the last mm-hmm. unmet need. Yeah. And as we kind of get older and into adulthood, I know, and I'm sure you can say it with a lot of your clients as well, they have a lot of trouble treating themselves well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have sure. a lot of trouble engaging in self-compassion. Mm-hmm. What I find is most people can fairly easily engage in self-compassion when they're directing it to their little self when they're directing it to their inner child rather than their adult self. Like if we do a visualisation and see little us there, it's really hard for us to be mm. critical towards that, mm. that little self. That's an interesting one, I think, yes. And also the level of rejection that people have had. I, I think a lot of my clients really, really struggle with that and it's a huge kind of achievement in therapy mm. when they can because there can often be such a dissociation and detachment. Mm. I, you know, I'll flag for people listening that my main client group are people with like long-term developmental trauma, eating, dis- like it was things that people are really struggling with that have, they've been struggling with for decades. And often there's a lot of rejection of that younger version of themselves. Mm. And therefore that idea of being connected, it can actually be met with a lot of disgust. Like they can be quite disgusted mm. with that, the needs of that okay. little person. So yeah. that can be a huge step in therapy when we get to that point when they're like, well, I don't hate little Dave right now. And it's like, well, do you even like little Dave? Can we go that far? Like, you know, so a lot of the therapy at the start is me saying, I get it. So right now you feel like you can't look after little Dave. Can I look after little Dave? Mm. Because I really do think that he needs that care and compassion. Mm. That's so interesting because as a therapist, that hasn't been my experience. Yeah, there has been a few people over time who have really struggled with that part. But when we're starting that kind of healing and self-compassion, I find they always find it at least a little bit easier to look after or care for or show compassion towards Mm. the younger self rather than the current self. Relative, yes, absolutely, yes, yeah, that's absolutely, what I'm about. Yeah, 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 and even further, uh, so much is due to someone external. So you know, oh, like absolutely, as a first stepping point of. Mm-hmm. You know, what advice would you give? Well, mm. literally, I'll often get them to move out of the chair, and I'll go and sit in their chair that they've just said something awful about themselves, like. I won't repeat it because I'm doing my best not to swear, but, you know, something awful. And I'll say, can you say that to me? Here I am in the chair being you, Mm -hmm. Dave. Critic Dave, what do you want to say? to Dave yeah. and they can't say it. They feel like they just melt. Again, that's so interesting because I do a similar thing, but I get them to visualise little them yeah, and yeah. see if they're able to articulate that criticism yeah. to their inner child and, and you know, no is, is basically what happened. Yeah. yeah wow. Cool. Oh, I love it. I'm learning how to do some yeah. therapy here. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, what are your thoughts about the links? I mean, I raised it before, the links between rejection sensitivity and attachment. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts here? 
Well, like when you were talking about how like kind of someone might push someone away or they might kind of draw someone really close, that immediately made me think of anxious as like the person that tries to hold really tight. Mm-hmm. So every time that partner tries to walk away or kind of have a little bit of extra distance or like kind of they're just not in contact, that anxiously attached person will try and draw them in. Yeah, so that's the tightening of the rope. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And then equally the opposite if you're pushing someone away. So like our cue here is kind of in that avoidant mode because mm-hmm. they're not wanting to engage. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to kind of have that emotional protection by not engaging with a new romantic partner. And it's that sense of kind of, I need to keep the distance because I'm going to get hurt. I even wonder how that happens as they're starting to communicate with a new partner. Mm. Like, for example, setting rules around, no, I can only see them once a week or, you know, something like Yeah, like something arbitrary of like... But it, it's often not a conscious processing, this idea of playing games. It could be like, ugh, they're too keen. Yeah. Nah, I'm not, mm. I'm not interested. Like, they'll message me. It's fine. Exactly. And it's just like there's that kind of distancing and that removal, mm. which can often come from a, oh, I'm not feeling safe. Both of them are coming from a place of not feeling safe. 100%. Yeah, just different responses. Yeah. And yeah. it's that idea yeah. of like, okay, well, if we go back to our values that you were kind of yeah. talking about earlier, Jamie, and asking ourselves, okay, why am I in this dating sphere? Mm. Mm. Like, am I having this? reaction just because it's an emotional kind of Mm. response Mm. reaction is it actually valid in the sense of like is it based in fact Mm. and is it going to take me towards my goal in terms of my values that I'm really kind of entering in this space in the first place about because then if we can kind of say actually well I'm having this reaction because they've texted me twice in a row before I've replied yeah and I'm viewing that as too kind of eager yeah and I'm kind of having that response of like I I need to run away (laughs) yep but then saying, oh, actually, maybe they just really liked me. Yeah. And that's okay because that's kind of what they would like. What we kind of want. In a par- <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. In well, a partner. <laughs> on behalf of all avoidance everywhere. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> yeah, I reckon yeah. little Jamie wants to be liked. <laughs> <laughs> little Jamie. <laughs> Are we going to go there? <laughs> And so final thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, uh, what's the time? (laughs) And your invoice is in the mail. (laughs) Final thought, Tom? So I guess my final thought is really about trying to think about this from a really compassionate perspective and is it like, have I been tuned into the same news channel for too long? Have I been stuck watching Sky News or Fox News? And actually I need a bit of like, you know, non-fake news. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I need to like draw myself and get like a bit of a wider spread of like what the actual information is here so that I can figure out what I actually need in this situation and my values are in this situation yeah. so that I can bring myself back to the, that reality outside of that rejection kind of echo chamber yeah. and kind of find what um, is really my authentic self and like when it comes to dating. Smiling because I feel like Tom's just covered all the final thoughts so beautifully. Um, I, so I will just pick up on one component yeah. of what you've said there around why do I want to be dating someone? What's the outcome that I'm hoping for? Because lots of people are just like, oh, I don't want to date, but I want to be in a relationship. I want that connection. So then we have to mm-hmm. look at well, what's the journey to that? What's the discomfort that we might need to sit with? Including we're going to have at least experiences of perceived rejection, mm-hmm. if not actual rejections, mm-hmm. like someone saying, do you know what? I just don't want to catch up tonight. And that can be experienced as a rejection of you. Yeah. And in small part, it might be. <laughs> in a large part, that might be about the other person. Well, I just want to like kind of pick up on that because I think it's one of the things that like we all have this fallacy and sorry to kind of mm. tag on a final, final thought, <laughs> yeah. but like that everyone has to like us. 
Mm-hmm. Like no one is universally yeah. loved in this world. We need to remind yeah. ourselves that it's okay that some people don't like us as well. And since he got a final, final thought, I'm going to go <laughs> a final, final thought. Oh, still here. <laughs> and, uh, so Dave, uh, <laughs> um, like on that, you know, some people are not going to like you. They're not going to like the version of you where yeah. you're particularly complacent and doing what everyone else wants. Some people are not going to like you when you're the perfectionist. Some people are not going to like you when you're authentic self. So isn't it just easier? to just be you. Exactly. Yeah. My final thought is this really is coming from old stuff. Yeah, this is old, old stuff. So while we want to be focused in the here and now and to be, you know, reframing our thoughts, and that's really fantastic, you know, if we think about where the genesis comes from, look after that little you. That brings us to the end, gang. Yeah, I don't like either of you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling very rejected by that. That's very a good. final, final, final thought. Yeah. Final rejection. Oh, I'm yeah. leaving. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> good, get out. Love you both. <laughs> Bye. 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 Meet Q is brought to you by Q Psychology, Melbourne's leading private psychology practice for the LGBT QIAP plus community. Q is a fictional character. Any similarities to a specific person are coincidental and are due to Q representing common mental health difficulties experienced by members of the queer community. Any advice provided by the presenters is general in nature and should not replace specific and individualised mental health support that might be needed. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 13 11 14. Rainbow Door is available on 1800 729 367, 10am to 5pm, seven days a week. And Q Life is available on 1800 184 527, 3pm to midnight every day. Please visit the Meet Q website at www.meetqpodcast.com for further specific LGBTQIAP mental health resources. 